Okay, for a moment, I want you to picture the great lawn in Central Park. I want you to imagine thousands of people coming together. They came together to listen to Simon and Garfunkel. Anybody there? I was there. Were you? Were you there? It was in October, September 19th, 1981. 500,000 people and one were there. They filled the place. We filled the place. And when Simon and Garfunkel began to play their enigmatic songs, everyone listened. Some got the words and the meanings, like the Sounds of Silence. Everybody know the Sounds of Silence song and those deep, haunting words, that wonderful lyrical verse? Some just listened to the music. Some, well, don't remember what happened that day. It was, after all, the late 80s, the early 80s. But one half million people showed up to listen to two musicians, phenoms in a city replete with thousands of wannabes. These guys were the real thing, and it was one heck of a concert. So now speed backwards, first century, common era, formerly called A.D. The year was 30, or about. There was a house where people were gathered to listen to the message of an itinerant preacher, a rabbi, some called a healer, a miracle worker. They came for many reasons, but they came. The crowds got so large that there was no room and no way to address them all. And all had come to hear he, they were told, was the real thing. And Jesus wanted to be heard. So watch in your mind's eye. Let's go from that lawn in Central Park back to the first century in that Jerusalem-Palestine area. Watch in your mind's eye as Jesus comes out of the place where he was and walks through the crowd to the shore. And they follow him after they allow him a path to walk. He gets in a boat. He paddles or pulls the boat out a few meters or more. People sit down on the shore and he begins to speak. They fall silent and they listen. Some get what he's saying. Some get something else. And others turn to one another and whisper things like, what did that mean? What was that all about? Just as others have asked writers about what their lyrics mean for songs that they have written. For example, another Simon and Garfunkel favorite. Me and Julio down by the schoolyard. Right? Remember that? Me and Julio down by the schoolyard. Did you ever wonder who was Rosie, the queen of Corona? A journalist finally asked Paul Simon one day, he went up to this, so who was Rosie? This is what the journalist writes in terms of what Paul said. The journalist says, the song was pure confection, it appears, and it had no meaning to real people or events. It's just a catchy tune, and he got a laugh out of singing the lyrics. In other words, there is no Queen Rosie. She's queen only in the song. But then he goes on to say, Corona, however, is a real place. It's a neighborhood in Queens, New York, 
one of the five boroughs of New York City. Corona is known for being the longtime home of jazz great Louis Armstrong. The name Corona sounds like exegesis, right? The name Corona means crown in Spanish and Italian, which makes Rosie queen of the crown. So somehow, and in some ways, regardless of what Mr. Simon had in mind, these lyrics and this song had meaning to others, even if it wasn't what he intended. And this happens all the time, from commentaries to conversations, the meanings are as many as there are listeners. Would you agree? You can say amen or yes or something like that. Okay, good. Practice this response and call. Yet Jesus was more than a poet or a performer. Yes. He knew how to attract the crowd. I don't know how, but think about it. He just did. Everywhere he went, he attracted a crowd. But sometimes his words were hard to get to. They were hard to understand. And the disciples said this over and over. There are, there are references over and over to the disciples asking Jesus, what does this mean? Or what's to come? And in this case, why aren't you more direct and clear, Jesus? Or as the evangelist puts it in sort of modified tones, why do you speak in parables? And Jesus did that a lot. His answer following the question about speaking in parables is nearly another parable in itself. This time quoting prophecy in Isaiah, making it easier for some and more difficult for others. He seemed to have that knack. And he says this, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear nor understand. Is it really so different Though hearing, they do not hear. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear. Is that really so different than the lyrics you may remember from Sounds of Silence? People talking without speaking. People hearing without listening. People writing songs that voices never share. And no one dared disturb the sounds of silence. Fool, said I, you do not know. Silence like a cancer grows. Hear my words that I might teach you. Take my arms that I might reach you. But my words, like silent raindrops, fell and echoed in the wells of silence. It seems Jesus' disciples and his audiences had that same well of silence for much of what he said. Somehow it didn't get through all the time. They seem to have what we have today, the need to know, to know fast, fast, fast. Tell us now, they said. Jesus said, it's not yours to know the time nor the place. What does it mean, Jesus? Seek and you shall find. How will I survive? Be not afraid. Parables. Responses that offer no quick answers. Thorns that choke new growth. Rocky soil that provides no depth for the soil of the roots. Good soil, you get good growth. What is it all about? Seems like silent raindrops to me. Am I the thorn? Am I the rocky terrain? Am I the rich soil? Am I the raindrops, the seeds? Come on, Jesus. Could you send me a memo? Fill me in, will you? Questions. Questions and looking for answers. 
is it about me? Or is it about you? Or is it about you and me? Or who am I relationship to you? And these words make no sense and they confuse me. They give me a glimmer of understanding for an instant and then it's gone. How could all of this confusing, contradictory, difficult to understand stuff possibly make any difference in my life in the midst of what I'm going through, my finances, the Roman oppressors, declining housing and benefits, my health, my relationships, my ill or my passed on family members and friends, my own human mortality. Then, now, the cry, the questions, the seeking for the answers were the same and they might as well have come in the form of heal me, please, cure me, help me, please, someone, God, Jesus, help me. We know Jesus heard these cries, much as we do today. We know of his great compassion, even though we also know that sometimes he needed to be taught compassion, as in the case of the Syrophoenician woman begging for crumbs at the table. We know we have compassion for others, but is that enough? The world sometimes just seems too big and swirling in too many directions at once, from highs to lows. Is compassion enough? Just in these recent days, from the stunning verdict of the Casey Anthony trial to the celebration of this new day in the PCUSA, to folk shaking a cup outside of a subway for spare change, to those taking the train to be with the 50,000 others in Yankee Stadium yesterday as Derek Jeter whacked, crushed his 3,000th hit and went five for five the first time in Yankee Stadium, the new one. Highs, lows. Or to the approaching days of remembrance of the 10th anniversary of 9-11. Two months away, a steady, growing beat in this city, even more so. And we're starting to talk about it more. We're talking about it here. And we will as we get closer to the day, because it needs to be talked about. And Annie, I hope Annie will say a few words later when we offer prayers and announcements about the work, the important work she is doing in this city right now has somehow helped us all to be ready. So it makes sense, doesn't it? If you, are, if you are somewhat inclined to seek answers in spiritual ways to all of these and more, I mean, who wouldn't go to the lakeshore to listen to the promise and possibility of a modern-day prophet, a healer, one who you've heard has done amazing things, even if you didn't understand what was going on? I mean... Come on, who doesn't want answers? The disciples did, I do. We all want answers. But that begs the question, maybe the real question. Can we let go of the need for answers? When we do seek, but not seek answers, when we plant seeds, but not need to know about the harvest. 
when we sing songs and do not need to control the message when we pray and do not need the outcome of the prayers as we request. But just to pray, something happens to us. It's a slow process. This does not go fast, at least for me. But when I no longer have to resolve everything and can accept that I may not accept hardly anything at all, understand hardly anything at all, but come to know clearly that in every fiber of my body and being that I am loved, by taking the risk of believing it is so, maybe in fact I have found the answer. When I realize and remember and take the risk of somehow behaving in a way that reflects the fact that I and we are all ordained into life and into purpose by God, things happen. Somehow, the rocks don't matter. Somehow, the thorns don't hold you back. The fertile soil is more than where things are planted. It's where I grow and come to believe more from inside through inside and others who know the way. And Jesus says this. It takes time, he says. The seed falling on the path refers to those who at first hear the message, but they don't understand it. They don't take the time to stop and let it take root. Slow down. The seed on the thin soil among the rocks are like those who at first hear the message, the song, and they hum it and they sing it over and over. But along the way, they forget the tune. They forget the words. They forget that they were even singing. They don't take the time to let the song be in them instead of just sung for some momentary pleasure. And among the thorns, the word, the seed, choked by worry, he says. Unnecessary worry when we know, when we believe that we are truly loved by God or bained by God from, of, and returning to God. True, no matter what befalls us. Friends, this is powerful stuff. And it takes time. And it takes acting as if it's truth. And it takes being aware and watching and taking risks and engaging with others and discovering the truth of such things in our interactions with others. And I haven't a clue of how it works other than to tell you it is the power of God. It is the power of the same God that says, be still. Know that I am God, for I am always with you, and you are always with me. I am always with you, and you are always with me, and the power of God in your lives, in that love and in that presence, in the ways in which you were ordained to be the person that God has created you to be with all of your gifts and talents and desires and questions and worries and concerns are all answered in knowing that you are loved, that we are loved by God. And if there is such a thing as a catchy tune, 
in how these scriptures and parables repeat themselves in our thinking, then the lyrics might be to take the time to stay with God through thick and thin, through seemingly barren paths or rocky terrains or thorny patches. Its refrain would promise a life of service and importance to others beyond any ways we might imagine. It also means that we need to be able to ask for help. We need to let others help us. And we need to pray for those who, for whatever reasons, are not ready for the help or to receive the help. It doesn't mean we cut them off. It means that knowing we are of God, that we also need to know that we have been invited by such knowledge to be humble, discarding anything that would keep us from one another. So for most of us, there will be no roaring crowds as we crush our 3,000th hit. There will be, maybe for Robin, there will be no lawns filled with hundreds of thousands who come to hear us sing. And neither will there be shorelines of people, thousands, hundreds, hungry for our teachings and our miracles. But there will be one next to us, crushed by events. There will be those who hear no songs that lift or touch them. There will be those, too, who will care not for the teachings of systems they still see as oppressive and draining of life that need us to help them. And there will be our love, even our struggle to love sometimes is still love, knowing that secrets and answers aside, it really is simple. We are loved by God called to love God in return and one another in the same way. Life, whatever else it may be, whatever blows it may deal us or heights to which it may raise us, the only thing that is lasting beyond everlasting is to learn to walk with God, the God we know, in the many ways we know God, in all we do. That, my friends, I believe is the answer we need. That, I believe, is the kingdom of God among us. At hand, on all of the paths, thorny or otherwise, and in all times, past and present, always with us. Amen.